I've been trying to talk myself into being nervous about preaching because this is only the second time that I've ever done this. And it's just not happening for me. I can't, I can't work up nervous about it. So I guess I'm really supposed to do it. <laughs> I guess we'll know after, after I get finished whether or not it was a good idea or not. <laughs> I want to talk to you this morning about commitment, our commitment that we make to God. And I want to start by giving you a little bit background, a little bit of background about myself. I grew up in church. I'm one of these church kids. I, I literally have an audio recording of myself at the age of six months crying in the background at a musical event that was going on at church. And it was at a little Baptist church that my grandparents went to in eastern Kentucky. And... <clears throat> They were a gospel quartet, my grandparents and my mother and my uncle. And then when my parents got married, my dad played piano for them. So I got exposed to, to the church at a very early age, and that was at a little, little Baptist church. Then a few years later, my parents got divorced, and they weren't uh, living very closely tied to their faith. And so in addition to going to church with my grandparents in this little Southern Baptist Church in Eastern Kentucky. I also would occasionally go to church with my dad at a Presbyterian church. And I would go to church with my mom's family, or my mom and my stepdad, rather, at the Church of Christ. So I was exposed to a wide variety of different versions of this thing that we call Christianity. And each one of these churches emphasized different things. And so I got kind of a little bit of a different message from each one of them. Now, one great benefit to this uh, as a worship leader and as someone who's a musician and goes out and, and plays music in a bunch of different churches is I can worship with anybody. I can show up anywhere, whatever doctrine they got going on. It's the same Jesus. I just plug into the Jesus bit and, and we, can, we can have a good time and we can worship together. But each one of these churches emphasized different things about the salvation process and about this thing that we have to do to be saved. In the Southern Baptist Church, it was the altar call. This, was, this comes at the end of the sermon after the, the preacher had very often been yelling at you about what's going to happen to you if you don't come down. Uh, then he'll say, you know, you got, if you don't want to go to hell, then stand up and come down to the front and pray, and we'll pray with you. And that's what you did to be saved. Now, in the Presbyterian church that my dad attended, it was... Whoop, I'm walking out in front of the mains with a mic. Um, in the Presbyterian church, it was more laid back in that if you buy into this philosophy and doctrine... That's pretty much all you really have to do. There wasn't a, a jump-off point. There wasn't a set moment. It was like, live this way, believe this stuff. That's what you do. Now, in the Church of Christ, baptism is the, is the heavily emphasized part of the process. And I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to, to say that I literally know people who believe that if you give your heart to God, but you have a heart attack on the way to the baptismal, that because you didn't get dunked, you're going to hell. That may be a little bit of an overstatement. 
but baptism is very, very heavily emphasized in the Church of Christ. So I grew up with all these different ideas about what it is that you do to get saved, to be saved, to become God's child. So I want to look this morning at what it really is. Now, does this mean that I'm going to pick out one of these doctrines and say, now this is the one, it's this, this is the one? No, that's not what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is talk about how it's not about what we do at all. Um, when I was 12 years old, I got baptized uh, in the Church of Christ because I thought that was what you do. I thought, okay, now I've punched my ticket. Now the, the holy conductor has come along and taken my train ticket, and now no matter what, I'm going to heaven. And then it didn't really make much of an impact in my life. I ran around uh, and partied quite a bit as a teen. I would tell people that I was a Christian if they asked, but nothing about my life really showed that. Nothing about my life showed that at all. So my Baptist grandparents would have said that I was living as a backslider and, or a carnal Christian. Or, but really what it was was I just really hadn't made a commitment to Christ at all. I had done my duty. I had gone and gotten dunked because I thought that's what you did. This is how you get saved. This is what you do, and now it's taken care of. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works at all. It's all external things. It's all stuff outside of self. But God wants to make a change on the inside of us. He wants to make us new people. He wants to give us a new birth. A new birth. That means becoming a completely different creature. It's the things that we do cannot save us. As Paul says in the letter to the Romans in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when people work... Their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. The people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Now, Paul's obvious statement here is when people work, they've earned their pay. Okay. So, how many of you in here have a job or have had a job? Okay. So, Nate, when, when payday comes and the, the boss brings you your paycheck... You don't think of this as some wonderful, glorious gift that he has given you, do you? This, this is something that you've earned. It's yours. It's coming to you because you've worked. So Paul is saying here that when we work, the things that we earn belong to us. But that's not what our works with God do. God's not given us something that we deserve. We can't work our way into salvation. There's not a thing that we can do or a set of things or a list of things that we can do that will make us good enough to be righteous. God's never indebted to us because we owe him everything. So anything that we get from him, including our salvation, is just a free gift from him. Now let's talk about this word righteous for a minute. Righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? The Greek word is dikaisine. In a broad sense, it means a state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition acceptable to God, a right standing with God. And another definition of it is integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, 
correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. All this stuff that doesn't describe me. That's not the way I am. That's the way I aspire to be. It's what I want to be. It doesn't really describe me, though. It describes all the things that I fail to do. The state of being righteous, being in a right standing with God. Our sin puts us out of a right standing with God in our relationship with him. So let me give you an example. Married men. When your wife has angrily told you that you have failed to pull your weight around the house, this is confessional time. This is me I'm talking about. And she feels like everything is being done by her. She feels like that she's pulling all the weight around the house. She might as well be single for all the help you're giving her. And she's mad. Maybe she's even crying. And she's upset at you. And you've hurt her feelings deeply by, doing, by failing to pull your weight. Is your relationship with her right? Well, no, obviously not. Now, in the human sense, there's things that we can do to make things right. I can fold laundry religiously for the next week, and that'll help. I can maybe sweep the floor and do all these things. And then after a certain period of time, she's thinking, wow, I've got a really great husband. Do you ever think that? Oh, thank you. (laughs) I just ask you in front of people on purpose. (laughs) But what Paul's saying is that our sin puts us in a state with God that we can't make up for like that. We can't do our good deeds. We can't come and sit in church and expect that our relationship is going to be fixed. Christ had to do the fixing. We as Americans seem to think that sometimes we are doing God a favor by showing up at church. I have gone long stretches in my younger life thinking that I was just fine and dandy because I was showing up at church and I knew all the words to say. I I could answer all the Bible study questions. But I hadn't made a commitment that made a change on the inside of me. There was nothing changed in here. I was parroting back all of the right words. Oh, yes, for God so loves the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes, oh, yeah, I believe. Well, it hinges on that word belief. Because what does that word belief mean? Christ said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. All the right things that we try to do, all the good deeds that we try to do, they don't take care of our sin problem. Sin is our problem. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is our problem. Our relationship with God has been broken. And showing up at church, volunteering in the soup kitchen, giving to the needy, helping the poor, helping the sick, these are all good things and these are what we should do. But these things do not save us. 
there's a commitment that we make. There's an, an internal thing that happens that make us right. Jesus said that he has come to accomplish the purpose of the law of Moses. Now, let's think about the Old Testament law for a minute. What the Jews did about sin was that every year they would make the sacrifice and that would push their sin back for another year. But even under that old covenant, though God had given them something to do about their sin, he, that thing in the Old Testament, all it ever did was cover it up, postpone it. Cover it up, postpone it. Cover it up, postpone it until Christ came. Because Christ is the only thing that can wash that sin away, make it as if it never existed. The whole old covenant was just a precursor for Jesus coming and abolishing sin. So he wasn't talking about the continuing covering up and postponing. He was talking about actually washing it away. Because he took our punishment. Romans 3 21 through the first part of 25. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So we're back to that word believe again. What does this word believe mean? Is God who he says he was? Yeah. Did Jesus do what he said he, what he, said he did? Yeah. You have to believe that. Okay, I do. I had a conversation one time with my dad. Um, when I was young and when I was still trying to figure out what all this stuff meant. And my dad was quite a character. His dad was a church of God preacher, a jump up on the chair, hellfire and brimstone preacher. And my dad was the most irreligious man that I've ever met. He had the worst mouth that I've ever heard, um, cussed like a sailor, and he wasn't a mean man. He was a very nice guy, but he was just very crude and rude, and he was quite mean if you got on his bad side. And one time when, he, when I was little, I heard him joking around with some friends, and he was using all this foul language and everything, and it really upset me because I was... I was trying to figure out what all this salvation stuff was about. And I went to him and I said, Dad, when you all get done with your card game, I need to talk to you. But I couldn't make it all the way through even saying that before I started to cry. And he, he said, all right, well, hold on. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to disturb you. Just wait until after the game. He said, no, 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 let's go talk. So <clears throat> he said, what's the matter? I said, man, I hear you in there talking like that and... I'm just scared for you. I don't want you to go to hell. And he said, well, the Bible says what you have to do is believe, that Jesus, believe in Jesus. And he quoted John 3.16 to me. And he said, I believe that. That's true. I know that that's true. So therefore, I'm going to heaven. And he was wrong. 
he was wrong because he hadn't committed to that truth. He didn't believe it in the way that we're talking about the word believe. He knew it to be a true thing. But as Paul says, otherwise, Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament, even the demons believe and shudder. But dad hadn't made a commitment to God. He hadn't handled his business with God. He thought just knowing who God was, was enough. And so for a long time, I kind of thought that too. <clears throat> but Christ took our punishment. We humans love rules and regulations. I know some of you are th sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? I hate rules. But we really do. We really like for there to be a list, a to-do list. Here's the things that I have to do to make sure that I go to heaven. I'm going to check this list off. Did you do this? Yep. Did you do this, Tyler? Yep. Tyler, did you do this thing? Okay. Ding. Here's your ticket. You're in. You know, we want, the, we want it to be like that when it works to our, our advantage. But the simple fact is there's no list. There's no, there's no group of things that we can do. None of these, the, the altar call doesn't do it. The baptism doesn't do it. It's an internal change. It's a, it's a thing inside you that the Spirit of God does within you. Romans 8, 11. says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. It's when God comes to dwell on the inside of us, when we have made that commitment and invited him in, that's when the actual change happens. That's when we are not what we were before that happened. That's when there is a difference. Now, some, some people will tell you that if you can't, you know, tell the exact date when that happened, then it must not have happened. And I don't believe that either. I believe that it is very much a process. But there comes a point where you make the commitment boom. After that commitment, you're different. It's no longer an external thing. God is inside you because you've invited him in and let him in. Here's where this happened for me. I was in the Gulf War, the first one, the easy one, the one that didn't take 10 years to, to, to get over with. And one night, right before the ground war started, after the air war had been going on for quite some time, for a month or so, uh, I was up on the border between Saudi Arabia and Iraq. At that time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I wouldn't have been allowed to tell you where I was, but we were in Iraq already. <clears throat> and if any of you have been, have been in the desert at night, there's a vast difference in the night sky in the desert at night compared to what we see here. The night sky is a beautiful thing. All the stars, all the moon, oh, very beautiful. But there's a lot of things that get in the way of our being able to see that very clearly. Humidity is one thing. We live in a very humid area around here. It's often very humid, and uh, that interferes with, with visibility for the stars. Light pollution. Light pollution, what? But... Uh, Anytime you're near an urban area, like we're near the city of Lexington, we're, we're in the city of Nicholasville, there are lights going on. So you can't see as well because of ambient light. Cloud cover. Um, 
pollution. And when the moon is out, that limits what you can see by the stars as well. Well, I was in the desert. I was in the middle of nowhere. So there was no humidity because it's the desert. There's no pollution going on because there was nothing for miles around except for us and our little bit of diesel smoke. Um, it was the middle of the night. It happened to be the new moon, which is when there's no moon out at all. And I cannot begin to describe to you the way the stars looked that night. If you see these pictures from the Hubble telescope where you can just see the big band of the Milky Way, it was like that. It was amazing. And I was at the point in my journey where I was searching, wanting to know if the stuff about God was true or not. I thought that I was too smart to believe in God. Ah, oh, smart people don't believe in God. That's just a bunch of old hocus pocus that my old-fashioned grandparents think. But that night I was confronted with a sight and the I don't really know how to describe it, except to say that the Spirit of God opened my eyes that night. I don't really know how to describe it because to anyone else, they might just say, well, okay, you can see the stars better, so what? But I saw them in a different way. I saw them in a way that made it perfectly obvious and clear to me that these things were made. These things did not happen. They didn't just happen. <clears throat> my place in my notes. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul is talking about this in verse 20 when he says that, uh, that the power of the majesty of God is known, yeah, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. This verse came back to me that night when I was looking at the stars and seeing the enormous majesty of them, and I thought, I no longer have any excuse. I can't continue to try to talk myself out of believing that there's a God. That was the moment for me. It may be something different for you in your life. <clears throat> so today I've got God in me. I'm a new person. I'm right with God because I made a commitment to him, because I ceased to just continue to show up at church. I committed. So you don't have to go through your life wondering how everything's going to pan out. You don't have to figure out if you're good enough. You don't have to figure out which interpretation of Christianity is the right one. It's not about all that. It's not about picking the right denomination. It's not about any of that. It's about inviting God in being born again, making commitment to him. It's really, really simple. And if you're here this morning and this is what you've been doing, if you've been showing up at church and that's how you've, well, you know, I'm working on spirituality. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this God thing. I keep showing up at church, so I, I'm moving in the right direction. But if you haven't made that commitment, I'm asking you to do it this morning. If you haven't made that commitment, I'm asking you to take care of that. Well, how do we do that? Okay. This is the part where I told you that I'm not picking between denominations. I'm just going to talk about what the Bible says. In the second chapter of Acts, it talks about the day of Pentecost. 
and this was when God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. And all of the disciples were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter got up and he began to preach. And it was the very first time anybody had ever preached a sermon about Christianity. It was the first one. And when he got to the end of it, all the people felt convicted. And it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children. And here's the good part. And even to the Gentiles, all, of who, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Now, the church of Christ that I grew up in, this is the verse that they, go, they use to go, ah, see, it's all about the baptism. It's all about the baptism. It's not all about the baptism. Baptism is something that's necessary and important and needs to be done because Christ commanded us to. But it's not what saves you. It's the Spirit of God coming into your heart and cleansing you of your sins based on your belief in the sacrifice that Jesus made. That's what saves you. We get baptized as a, as a show to the world that we believe in him as an outward sign of the inward change that has been made. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There it is, right there. Now, I know that sounds really simplistic. I know that sounds like something that most, maybe many of you, most of you, I don't know. I don't know where everybody is. But a lot of people in here, I'm pretty certain, have taken care of this a long time ago. But what if you haven't? If you have been coming to church all this time and you think, well, yeah, I go to church and I give and, and all this, but if you've never had that moment in your life where you have stopped and made that commitment, then it's something that you still need to do. And if you haven't done that, that's what I'm asking you this morning to do. Because why? Why this morning? Why is it so urgent? Well, one, it's the only way to be right with God. It really, really bugs me how many people that I've met that think that the dunking is what did it. Or, yeah, I went down to the altar call, and therefore I'm okay. Because I used to think that myself. And then nothing about that changed my life. That's not what changed me. Really opening my heart up in belief and inviting God in changed me. These other things are important. They're part of this process. They're things that we do in response to God in order to show him and show others that we've made this commitment. But in and of themselves, they're not magic words that hocus pocus, now I'm saved. <clears throat> the faith is the decision to commit. That's what changes everything. It's like 
It's like the day that I asked Tammy to marry me. And I did it upright, too, let me tell you. I was coming home from a business trip. I had been to Dallas. And Tammy was, was really upset, wondering where our relationship was going and, and, and didn't think that I was committed to it and everything. I don't know why in the world she thought that. She was just being paranoid. Because little did she know that it was coming. She picked me up at the airport, and I said, don't take me to my apartment. Go this way. Go this way. I had her take me to Jacobson Park. We walked down by the water, and I had the ring, and I did it upright, down on one knee, the whole nine. <laughs> I love you. You make me so very happy. Will you marry me? And she cried and said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she did cry, and she did say yes. Well. My, my memory may be a little fuzzy. It was 13 years ago. Okay. Well, that was the commitment that she made. But being actually married, it was easy to say yes, wasn't it? Is it easy to be married to me? No. <laughs> Making the commitment is a very easy thing. Walking it out is a different thing entirely. See, and that's, that's the, sort of the difference that I had in my head when I was a kid because I thought, well, I, got, I went down in the water, I was baptized, and now I'm saved. But I wasn't really because I didn't really invite God in. I didn't make the commitment to actually walk that walk, to actually grow closer to Him, to draw closer to Him. So one reason that I'm pressing you to do this today, if you haven't taken care of it, is because it's the only way to be right with God. Another reason is it's the only way to live with God's power and guidance, His Spirit within you. It's, it's an adventurous thing, living the Christian life, to go out, on, go out on a limb sometimes, not knowing if or how things are going to work out. That's, but knowing that you have God in charge of your life, that makes it a lot easier to live. So there's the fire insurance aspect, as Max calls it. But then there's also the, the here and now power of living the life filled with God. But the third reason is the most important one, and that is that you don't know how much time you have. We don't know what is coming. Any minute now, Tyler, a meteor may come through the roof and smash through your head, and then you're gone. God's got good aim. <laughs> he might be just aiming for Tyler. No. Um, we really, really don't know how much time we've got. Two of my sons lost their grandfather this week. And it was a very sudden thing. He was 68 years old. And he had... A stroke and a heart attack. They went to the hospital. They admitted him. And then he had another heart attack Thursday morning that killed him. And he was a fine, upstanding Christian man. And I have no doubt that we'll party and play guitar together in heaven. He was a really good guitar player. But you don't know how much time you have. If this, is, if this commitment, if you've never made this actual commitment, it's something that you need to take care of. You might not make it out of here. Literally anything could happen. People die of all ages. 
die at all ages of all causes. I want to tell you about my dad. I told you a little bit about him earlier. My dad died of a stroke when he was 57. My dad was a physician. And after he had his stroke and they got him to the, to the hospital, they did a CAT scan and he saw his own CAT scan and saw how bad the stroke was. He was in Pikeville, Kentucky, and they had to get him to a place that had the facilities to handle a major stroke because Pikeville at that time didn't. I don't know if they still do or not. They have a good cancer center there, but I don't know what their capacity is for dealing with strokes. So they had to get him to Cabell Huntington. I'm sorry, St. Mary's in Huntington. And the weather was terrible that day. It was a thunderstormy day, so they couldn't fly him. He had to go by ambulance from Pikeville to Huntington, which is a good couple of hours if you're really driving fast. So he had seen his CAT scan. He knew how bad the stroke was. He knew that he was never going to make it to Huntington in time for them to do anything about it. This is the same dad that told me, oh, well, yeah, I know Jesus is who he says he was. So, I don't know what transpired in the back of that ambulance that day. I know what I think happened because I know how smart he was and I know what he knew about God. I like to think that dad handled his business with God and, and got things straight. That's what I really believe happened just based on the fact that I know he was smart and I knew he knew about God and knew what was right to do. But now some people might say, you know, oh, deathbed confessions. Deathbed confessions hold a lot of weight and I can point to the thief on the cross as a, as a rock solid example of that. The guy that's hanging there next to Jesus getting ready to die, he was saved. But why? Why push it like that? Why wait until then? Because, you know, the stroke could have taken dad out immediately. People die like that of a stroke too instead of taking a couple of hours to lose consciousness and then never wake up. So while I like to think that my dad handled his business and had everything taken care of, um, I don't know that for certain. I know that I believe that. But you don't know how much time you have, so why would you wait? Now I want to talk to you Christians just for a second too. Some of you may have tuned me out a long time ago and said, oh, isn't that cute? Chris is preaching salvation message. I don't need that. Taking care of that already. If you are not living with the, the power of the Spirit of God in your daily life, then maybe you need to renew your commitment to God. If the salvation thing just is something that you think of, yeah, I took care of that already, but you're not living with a, a hunger and a zest for God, then drop a little closer to him. But I'm asking you this morning, if you have not made that commitment, if you've not made, if there's not been a moment when, when you have literally said to God, I want you to come into my life and fix me, and really opened your heart up to that salvation that he offers us, I want you to do that this morning if you haven't done so.
or if you have any doubts about having done so, or if you think that you got some of it wrong before and we're just going through the motions. I want you to come and talk to me. I want you to, to raise your hand and we'll pray with you. I, what Come up to me after. You don't have to make it a big public thing right this second. But don't leave here without fixing it. If all you've been doing is showing up at church and you've not ever taken care of this, don't leave in that condition because you might not make it out to the parking lot. You might not make it home. Oh, it's just a scare tactic, you know. You're just trying to scare me into getting saved. Well, nobody ever got saved that wasn't a, first a little scared of what was going to happen if they didn't. <laughs> I know my preaching skills have some development to be done. I'm not the most eloquent preacher on the world in the world. My sermon doesn't flow from one thing to the next. I'm, I'm not nearly as good at this as I am at music. I, I am much more comfortable with music. But here's my point. My point is, fix this if you haven't already. If you haven't taken care of this, take care of it now. It's up to you. It's up to you and you alone. I used to think that, you know, because my grandparents were so heavily involved in ministry, that somehow that meant I could put it off. But God doesn't have any grandchildren. God has only children. And if you haven't made yourself a child of God by accepting his grace, fix it today. Fix it now. 